Welcome to the Leadership Works Podcast with Chris and Karen Conley. You probably figured this out. I'm Karen and I'm in studio with my husband, Chris, and we are so excited about part two of our podcast with Brad Lominick. Yeah, part one of our interview with Brad Lominick was just fantastic. There were so many great truths there that if you did not listen, I encourage you to go back. Brad is the author of H3 Leadership. Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. Man, that is incredible leadership advice right there. He was also the president of Catalyst Conferences. I have benefited greatly in my life. When I was at the very first Catalyst Conference about 15, 16 years ago, God gave me the vision to start High Point Church. So Brad's leadership, Catalyst Conference, has a very special place in my life. So we are thrilled to be able to bring Brad Lominick to the Leadership Works podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Great to be back with you guys for round two, Electric Boogaloo. There you go. As we mentioned in the previous podcast, you were the visionary leader behind Catalyst Conferences, and it's so much more than conferences. All of the content that it provided, really a movement for young leaders. Many people may know of you from that role, but also most recently, your next book has come out, H3 Leadership. So tell us a little bit of the story that brought you to write H3 Leadership. Well, so much of book titles, books in general, come out of hopefully what you're experiencing. For me, it was this crossroads of H3 has sort of been a leadership mantra since I was in my 20s. Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. You know, I didn't necessarily have those words, but they formed over time. And, you know, over the years of Catalyst, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed interns would come in, and they want to change the world, and they would say, Brad, okay, what's the one thing we need to know? What's going to help us get ahead here? What's the essence of leadership? And, you know, I would typically say H3. They were like, what is H3? Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. Humble, hungry, hustle. So before this was a book, it was mantra for me. Before it was kind of a a snappy title, it was hopefully something I was trying to live out. That's the premise, is that if you want to pare down the three big categories of, I think, what leadership entails, it's those three words. In the book, there's 20 habits that really flush out the three buckets and the three categories. And the habits, that's the game plan. If you can hopefully implement these habits, you're going to end the the leadership journey and finish the race well. That was the first part of the crossroads. The second part was I personally was having to redefine my leadership because I'd gotten to a place where my leadership was stale. I'd been leading Catalyst and leading this organization and in charge of something that hopefully we were impacting leaders. But I was starting to notice that the first 15 years of my journey, all the things that I tried to put in place were now starting to fade away. And I wasn't a bad leader. I just wasn't a good leader. And my team wasn't thriving as much as they should have been. People closest to me were not necessarily the healthiest they could be. I was great with the outside circles, but I wasn't necessarily leading those people in the inside circles to the best of my ability. So for me, it was really a chance to stop. I went on a sabbatical. I took several months off after that, stepped away from leading Catalyst. And it was a real crossroads for me from an identity place as well as a career move. And out of that, for me, these habits emerged. So the habits really come out of a place of me saying, what are the things that I want to put into practice for the next 25 to 30 years of my journey? If I'm going to finish well, these are the things that I have to make sure are sustained habits in my life. So that's how the the book was formed. 
Brad, the first habit that you talk about is self-discovery. A lot of times we think about that habit on the front end of our leadership. Okay, I need to discover this to know the kind of leader I'm going to be. But what I have found throughout my life is kind of when I look at my life and my leadership in these five-year windows, I see it's an ongoing process of self-discovery. For us, High Point Church is about 15 years old, and it's like the first five years there was this major self-discovery. Then the second five years, another self-discovery. What about along the way as you were leading Catalyst and you are around so many great leaders, how did that work in your own self-discovery? Because sometimes as you're looking at these other great leaders, we have this tendency to go, oh, I wish I had this quality. And you fall into that comparison trap. How did that play into your own self-discovery? Yeah, I love that. The reason it is habit one is because it's the foundation, especially of the idea of being humble. You said, Chris, like self-discovery is not something you complete. It's not a practice that you check the box and say, I'm done. It's a constant lifetime posture. It's something you always are doing. And the hardest part for leaders is to be so in tune with who you are that you walk out in confidence to not have to be someone else. People who are really humble, they're confidently aware of the deepest parts of themselves. Like they are so in touch with their sense of self-identity They can then walk out confidently and allow people around them to be great and receive accolades and to get attention and realize that that's okay because there's a bigger story going on. Those leaders who lack self-awareness and lack self-discovery and lack a sense of true identity are the ones that are constantly grabbing the people around them or the churches around them or the other organizations around them or the latest trend around them. They walk around always sort of changing their style on a consistent basis and they never really know who they are. And the more I'm aware of the way I'm wired, the way God has made me uniquely, the more impactful I can be in my journey of leadership. And the leaders who I admire the most, they know themselves the best and they're okay with that. They walk into a room and you can just tell they don't need to impress anybody because they're so dialed in on that sense of contentment that, you know what? I'm good with who I am. That's a great place to live from and lead from. I could not agree with you more. There's a sense of being comfortable in their own skin. They're comfortable with who they are and who they're not. When I think about humility in the world of leadership, sometimes a lot of misunderstanding because you see leaders that have to have a certain amount of confidence in order to be the leader that they are. And sometimes I think people can misunderstand their confidence and think, well, they're not humble. How do you reconcile that? How do you see people who are incredibly confident, but yet they're humble at the same time? It's hard. It's a tension you constantly manage. And humility is not weakness. I think humility is meekness. Actually, the habit that we sort of tried to play out in the book is a habit of meekness. And the picture for me, and this goes back to my horse days, I loved being on a horse that had a lot of energy and a lot of giddy up. I could bridle that horse effectively to control its power. It didn't take the power away. But what it did is it allowed that power to be harnessed in such a way that it was going to be used for the best purposes. And then the other side of that is this uncontrollable racehorse just runs off the track and bucks off the jockey and has no sense of power under control. It's just full bore, 
always the center of attention. And in those two pictures, the out-of-control racehorse or the bridled and power-under-control horse that I'm now riding, when I think of humility, I don't think of somebody who's not confident. I actually believe that humility and leaders who are humble are the most confident because they're aware of their place in the story. They understand that, one, there's a bigger story happening. It's not all about them, but they have a very important part to play in it. So all of the things that we tend to think about weakness and being timid and not stepping up and, oh, I won't make a scene, you know, I'm not willing to step up and be out in front, or I'm not willing to take a stand and have courage, those are not the opposite of humility. Sorry, in fact, they are the opposite of humility. The other side of humility is just that sense of you're not taking away any of the things that I'm bringing to the table. I'm just leading with those with a sense of bridled control. And it's ambition grounded in a sense of humble posture. Brad, I'll just add in a little plug, keeping with that rodeo theme. One of your recent blogs, you talked about eight signs that you're too big for your britches. And I thought that was, as we're talking about this question of humility, and obviously we're talking to a lot of leaders out there, it is something to always keep in check. It's not something that you can go, oh, I crossed the humility off my list in my first decade of my career. It's Mm -hmm. something that the enemy continues to want to lure us out there to think that we are somehow more important than we really are. So I would encourage people to check out your blog at bradlominick.com. I thought that was incredibly helpful. That whole idea of letting go of something that obviously for you in your life, Catalyst was a big deal. And to say that you're the head of Catalyst gives you probably a little swag in your step and something that makes you feel good. And so to say goodbye to that and no longer be the center of that takes a lot of humility. What was it that helped you to be able to make that change as other leaders out here, they might need to say, yeah, I am actually weary and I actually do need a change, but they're too afraid to let go of that success. What would you say to them? Well, it's hard. And this is one of the great barriers to actually healthy organizations. It's one of the great issues and pain points of organizational leadership today is healthy transition and proper succession. Whether you're in a church, whether you're in a for-profit Fortune 500 company, whether you're in a family health business that's now two generations in, I mean, this is one of the biggest issues. And for me, I had to have an appropriate understanding of what the three, what I would call categories of effective transition start with. And for me personally, it was about identity assignment, and calling and identity being the, the highest level of sort of the viewpoint on my life, then calling being this middle level and then assignment being this third level. And it's hard maybe for people to grasp this without seeing this on a whiteboard. But when you think identity, it's who you are. It's unchanging. When you think about calling, that's why you're here. That can change, but usually it doesn't many times over the course of your life. Uh, and then assignment is what I do. So again, identity, who you are, calling why I'm here, and then assignment, what I do. And many times we get our assignment and our identity wrapped up in the same axle. Mm -hmm. Catalyst for me was an assignment. It's not my identity, and it's not even my calling. It was an assignment that should have reflected my calling, which then gave evidence to my identity. So to see that then and go, you know what, Catalyst is a season of assignment. And I want to steward it as best I can for a certain amount of time. 
but my identity is not all about Catalyst. That was also the hardest thing, stepping away, because all of a sudden it's like, well, I like Catalyst Brad. He's fun. Catalyst Brad gets invited to all the cool things. He gets to go to the White House, and he gets to hang out with people he loves and admires. What happens when Catalyst Brad no longer exists? And this is the hardest thing about transition and succession is we think our identity is going away. When in fact, it's not our identity we're losing, it's just a new assignment that we're gaining. But that's the most difficult piece of those kinds of healthy transitions is making sure that you identify that the assignment you're in is not the identity of who you are. You have to start there. That's the foundation. I resonate with that so much when you tell that story. I grew up in a family that loved golf, and and my brother and my dad were both very good at golf. I played college golf and wanted to play professionally. That was my identity. When God got a hold of my life and I began to see golf really was the idol of my life, then what was so painful is that I had to die to that identity. I had put everything in that versus that just being something that I do. So to this day, that's one of the most painful memories I have, but yet God was able to remake my identity, place my identity in him. Now through these years, as your assignment changes, your identity can remain the same. Yeah. And man, when we get these right, it's so freeing. I mean, there's so many, especially marketplace leaders, people who are in the business community or in the social sector and entertainment, like we always have struggled with calling and with like confusion on how do I take this world that I'm in and merge that into the church world and what I'm supposed to do with my life. I mean, the biggest question people ask today is for all of us, like what am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? Does any of this matter? We have to start though with identity and calling and assignment. And part of your identity as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, part of that identity is to fulfill the purposes of God during this season of life that we have. But that doesn't mean that you have to give up the assignments that might be out there for you. In fact, the purposes of God actually get done through the assignments that he gives you. Like the new generation, today, an average 20-something might have seven to 10 different jobs, which I would consider to be assignments during the course of their career. It's really important. It's, It's actually more important today for them to truly understand what they're calling is, which then gives evidence to their identity, because otherwise you're going to have a schizophrenic generation that's just jumping from assignment to assignment with no connection back to their girding purpose. This is just really important. Other thing I've noticed about when we confuse our assignment with our identity, oftentimes if our identity is our assignment, then we will work so hard because our identity is involved and we'll actually work to a place that probably brings us to burnout. Exactly. Tell us how you've seen that in your life and in the life of other leaders that at times when we get those confused, it can really put us in the red zone of the RPMs and put us in a dangerous place. Yeah, well, my story has that in it. And sometimes the best ways to help others is to talk about your failures. For me, the season of, I feel like when I wasn't leading well, there was a specific moment when my team, I learned that they had a nickname for me. The nickname was Darb, which is Brad backwards. And Brad, Catalyst Brad at that time, the, the leader Brad they loved, I was a great leader. And Darb, he was the other side. He was the... Your alter ego. He got it. Like, he was the burnout 
potential burnout guy they despised. They didn't want to be around. You know, when Darb was in the office, they stayed away. And I had to wrestle with that. You know, once I noticed it, which again, this is the practical side of dealing with burnout and dealing with when your identity and your assignments start to get confused, you're redlining all the time. You don't even realize, first of all, it's happening. And sometimes the only way for you to stop from falling off the cliff or jumping off the cliff or getting knocked out of the game is for somebody to come along and say, hey, you're being darb right now. Like you are in danger of bad leadership. Like I want to help you before you get to that point. And I had to be slapped a couple of times. I mean, literally and figuratively to say this needs to change. But there was nothing about it for me that I was trying to be that. It was the slow degrading of my leadership over time. But I had to have somebody step in and know that Darb is present. And then once we knew Darb was present, or once we kind of called that out, then it became something that I could work on. It's going to happen. Most of us, it will probably happen at some point. If, if you're leading something, if you're having impact, if you're making a difference, if you're a follower of Jesus, especially as followers of Jesus, we're under attack. We are trying to be taken out of the game. And so you have to be really aware this is going to probably happen to you. So put some things in place that will make sure that you have some stop gaps, that people will help you make sure you don't get to that point. We could stay here all day talking about the humility portion because it is so critical for you to be able to receive that from your team required some humility. I really want to encourage people to get your book, H3. You talk about the habits of faith and the habit of assignment and several others that that are definitely worthy of reading and, and applying to your life. And I loved what you said. You gave the example in your book about how when Tony Dungy came to be the coach for, I guess it was the Indianapolis Colts. I'm in dangerous territory as a, a non... <laughs> I was impressed, actually. I know. I pulled that out of somewhere. But he talked about coming in and simplifying the game, and I love the illustration where the other team always knew the plays that they were going to run, but it didn't right. matter because they couldn't overcome them because they couldn't keep up. They knew those habits so well, those plays so well had become habits that they were unstoppable. Just speak to that as we move on to Hungry, but just this underlying importance and value of habits that is woven all the way throughout your book? Well, I love The Power of Habit, a book by Charles Duhigg, which came out about a year before my book did. And I think that's one of the best books out there on what habit really does in our lives. But if you think about anything in your life that is hard, especially if you're trying to overcome something, if you want to quit smoking, if you want to lose weight, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to you know, change an addiction, overcome something, it's hard. And the way you do that is you actually put a system in place. You don't just think about it. You don't just do it one day and all of a sudden things change. You have to actually put things in place, sustainable systems, which are habits, in place in order to change your lifestyle, which then will change the impact you're going to have. And leadership is the same way. A lot of us, if we're honest, we wing it in leadership. We weren't prepared for the position we have. We weren't programmed. We weren't educated for the sea we're in. And all of a sudden we get there and we go, oh my gosh, like I don't even know how to do this. I think if you put in some habits, then all of a sudden you'll watch your leadership continue to both improve as well as be more efficient over time. So that's why habits are so important. To your question in terms of thinking about the hungry or even the hustle piece, what's really important about this book for me to get across and this idea of, of H3 is we have to live out all three of these. I know lots of leaders who are incredibly humble, who don't do anything. 
they know it's not about them. They're willing to give away the credit. They're willing to make others the hero, but they don't do anything. And that's where the hustle and hungry come in. Like we have to actually execute. We actually have to move things down the court. We actually have to get things across the finish line. Now on the flip side, I know lots of leaders who are hustlers and they're hungry and they're willing to learn and they've got their moleskin out. They want to work hard, but they have no humility. It is all about them. It's all about them getting theirs and it's all about them being the center of attention. Both of those are really bad things. We have to live these three buckets out like a three-legged stool that's balanced. You can't just have one of these you're doing well in. The cumulative scorecard of leadership has to be that you're living out all these pieces. Otherwise, you're not going to score well cumulatively as a leader. A minute ago, we talked about burnout. And sometimes in the midst of burnout, we can get so weary and fatigued that we lose our passion. We can even get cynical. How is it that we keep our passion for leadership alive as we progress through our career and through our various stages of leadership. So talk about that habit of passion. I've heard Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley say this, that the attitude and the level of energy you bring to your team perhaps might be the most important asset that you bring to the table every day. Just that idea that you are a positive influence on the people around you. You're impacting them in a way that is allowing for the passion meter to continue to go up. Man, it's hard. Like, again, this is not easy stuff. All of these, pretty much every answer I give when it comes to leadership, it always starts with it. It's hard. It's hard. Being passionate in the early days is really easy. Being passionate when you're starting out is really easy. It's the dog days of the middle. It's what Seth Godin calls the dip. It's that place where the shine and the sizzle have worn off. And now it's just blocking and tackling. And that's when your passion is needed the most as a leader. That's when you have to bring the thunder, like you have to bring the energy. But those are the times when you'd rather get in the office and close the door. A lot of us would just like to execute. We just want to like get things done. You do have to do that, but you also have to bring that level of energy. If you're struggling with that, here's my advice, and you've probably heard this before, but I would just reiterate it. Figure out what that first love was. Figure out why did you get into what you're doing? What is it about your profession, your job, your industry, your product, your organization that attracted you to it in the first place? There's some gem down in there somewhere, maybe buried beneath a lot of the rubble, that is going to like reimagine and reignite the passion for you. The example for me is every time I go in the Apple store at the mall, and I walk in there and I see all these blue shirters who are incredibly passionate about their product. And I love being around them because they motivate me to buy stuff, which is good for Apple, but they love their job. They love their product. They would use an Apple product whether they were getting paid or not. And then I go in the Microsoft store and I have nothing against Microsoft. Microsoft's fine. But when I walk in, the passion meter is way down. There's a lot of people who work there that seems like the only reason they're there is to get a paycheck. The only reason they're there is to exist. Their whole goal is to get me to the end of the day. Their whole goal is I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to sell anything. I just want to like buy time. Unfortunately, that doesn't help their business because you walk by the Microsoft store in most malls and there's nobody in there. And you walk by an Apple store in the mall and it's packed. I think a lot of that goes back to energy. It goes back to a sense of passion. It goes back to these people would sell me this regardless of whether they're getting paid or not. I want to bring that to my 
team and to my organization as a leader every single day because they're watching you. I can promise you, as the leader, as the CEO, as the president, as the executive director, if you're not passionate and you're not energetic, then nobody else will be. Brad, you made such an excellent point as we were talking earlier with that example that as a great leader, all three of these, humility, being hungry, and and that hustle are all critical. We're running to the last little bit of our podcast and have time for maybe one more comment from you. As you think about that third H, the hustle, obviously there's tons of information and content that you bring in your book. What stands out to you as maybe the most important habit when it comes to that idea of hustle? I think it's execution. I really do. I I think it's the idea of getting things done and moving the ball across the finish line, across the goal line, into the end zone. Seth Godin says we need to ship. We have a lot of idea people in organizations. We have a lot of people who are creative and they come up with great concepts and they add a lot to the whiteboard. What we need in today's economy and today's environments and today's leaders, we have to be the ones who actually help get things done. The old days of putting your feet up in the corner office and drinking a spritzer and barking out orders to your team and watching them implement. I mean, that still happens, but I think the picture of a leader today is one of in the trench with your team, beside them, with your fingers dirty, helping dig the ditch or the trench. A lot of people hear that and they go, Brad, I have other things I have to do. Yes, you do. No question. You have to be in other places and sit in other seats. But you have to have that posture that says, I'm willing to get down in the mud and make things happen with you. And I'm willing to help you execute and think that, take things across the finish line. The bottom line of that is try to name one leader that you respect and want to be like who doesn't get it done. It just doesn't happen. So ultimately, all these other qualities, they shine the best when we have that commitment to excellence and that commitment to execution. And it gives us the ability then to speak into their lives in these other areas. It paves the way for us to maybe then share with them the purpose behind our performance. Yeah, and if you're a young leader, the best way for you to get noticed and sort of climb the ladder of impact and influence is execute. Anticipate. Be the one who who walks in and says, hey, I went ahead and did that. Is that okay? I've never had a young leader on my team who took something off my plate that I was angry at. Amen to that. I love that. That's terrific. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us for part two. This has been incredibly helpful. I want to encourage everyone go online or to your Barnes and Noble, go grab H3 Leadership. It is absolutely worth the read. Tell us one more time, Brad, in terms of your blog and social media, how people can reach you. Real easy. Just my name, bradlominick.com or Brad Lominick on any of the social media outlets. L-O-M-E-N-I-C-K. That brings us to the end of our time. Hope that this has been incredibly helpful for you. In addition to following Brad, we encourage you also to follow along with our Leadership Works podcast. Leave a review if you don't mind. Also, follow us on social media. Chris and I are both on Twitter at Chris Conley and at Karen Conley. You go and prove Leadership Works today. 